Namaste. This is Farhan Israeli, the producer of Drishti Point Yoga Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Drishti Point has been recording podcasts since 2006, and we have over 300 podcasts that we are currently uploading to this site and others. Please be sure to visit our website, drishtipoint.ca, for the top 100 podcasts. We hope this podcast will nourish your mind and open your heart. Namaste. You're listening to a special Drishti Point podcast. I'm your host, Farah, and we're here on the telephone with Tracy Rich. She's been teaching and practicing yoga since 1978 and has studied with some very famous, recognized, and renowned teachers, including Patabi Joy, Krishnamurti, June La Silva, and Ganga White. She continues to teach and train yoga teachers worldwide, and currently serves also as the director of a retreat center in Santa Barbara. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Tracy, you know, one of the things that we love to ask our guests and we love to hear about is the story of how you found yoga. Okay. Um, That's definitely, definitely a question I get at the retreat center at the White Lotus in Santa Barbara here from people all over the world. Eventually that question comes up whether we're in a short retreat weekend or a long teacher training. Um, People want to know because Mm -hmm. I think that moment when people find yoga is so um, revelatory for them that people typically never forget that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really know, you know, when people say, how did you find yoga? I'm not really sure if I found yoga or yoga found me. And I think that would be a common experience for people. I was certainly aware of the practice of yoga and of the existence of yoga in the 70s. My sister took yoga in college, so that was one, you know, awareness of um, that there was a form and a practice. Um, I had taken a class in a park just casually in Key West, Florida, when I was traveling through. But really, truly, when I actually came to bring myself intentionally to a class of yoga, I was looking, and it was right timing in my life. Um, I think very much I was on an inward journey, Mm -hmm. asking a lot of questions about life in general, about living and dying, uh, about the nature of love. Mm -hmm. Those were kind of the things that I was seeking both internally and externally to understand about the nature of existence in the world. So when I did find yoga, you know, and intentionally took myself to a class, um, it was a it was a right moment. And those kinds of questions that I was asking, I was able to sit and look within, and it felt like the answers were were available, more available. Mm-hmm. And it was like a coming home. And I think people probably experience that often. Mm-hmm. I think that's very, very true. I'd like to come back to that question, but um, how has yoga helped you throughout your life in in the whole of your the direction of your life, the evolution of your life? You know, sometimes it's really hard at this point to extract the yoga from my life and just my life itself. Mm-hmm. But clearly, I would say that. It's a way of seeing for me, a way of 
perceiving, not with a preconceived held belief, but just with um, an emphasis on, again, not a mechanical awareness, but how we move through our daily life, um, trying to reflect um, on my own thought process, mm-hmm. um, my watching my actions. And again, I really want to underscore the fact it's not because there were a codified list of rules and behaviors that were laid out that this is yoga and you should act this way. It's more that yoga opened my eyes and also allowed me to listen more deeply mm-hmm. to my own heart, to the universe, to understanding and watching the nature of conditioning in my mind. So those things stay with me and they live with me in the way I move through my day and through my life. Do you have a particular sadhana or a particular way that you practice other than just the the expansion of your awareness and consciousness, but is there any particular thing that you do on a regular basis? Well, again, in the long arc of my relationship with yoga, both as a practice and an awareness, then there is a large body of personal practice, mm-hmm. and I love the form of yoga. It's beautiful. It's it's like a dance. Um, I love the practice of breath work in yoga, and whether that's infused into an asana practice or whether that's a, a specific separate breath practice, those are tools that I love and expressions that I love. Um, sitting as a practice, and none of these, I would say, are regimented to a particular time of day or day, number of days of the week. There have been times in my life when I practiced, um, without using the word religiously, but six days a week, um, perhaps even a very particular form or format that I used regularly over and over. Mm-hmm. But I also have to say from the very beginning of my introduction to yoga, I have had um, a personal practice that was pretty much intuitive and very liberating. Mm-hmm. Liberating in what way? Well, I never waited for an external teacher or form to tell me how I should do yoga or that this was okay, this way was okay, and this way wasn't. And I don't know if that's my own independence, you know, my, my own independent streak, you mm-hmm. know, or my stubbornness. Mm -hmm. Um, or whether or not I just was fortunate. So along with having gone to classes and studying with teachers and learning to understand the asanas or breath work, I would come home and I would practice on my own and I would listen and I would learn from the yoga itself. Mm -hmm. And is that something that you really try to instill when you train teachers is that way of listening and trusting that the asanas themselves are the teachers? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it, and it's both. It's learning structure and form and learning good, safe um, body mechanics and understanding the nature of what the body's capable of and where people can fall into, um, uh, you know, bad habits or just as we try to teach our teachers and our yoga teacher training, again, 
what are the basic body dynamics? How do bodies differ? How are bodies similar? What are the basic rules and laws, you know, that the body can function under? We want our teachers to have really strong foundational principles. At the same time, we want them to understand that the practice is malleable and that it has a deep personal expression and that one of the ways that you find that is to develop simultaneously a personal practice. Mm-hmm. So let's come back to something that you mentioned in your answer there, and that was about safety. Can you speak a little bit about the ways that both teachers and students can practice yoga in a way that is safe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I think we probably all understand that the part of the proliferation of yoga right now is the exhilaration that people get from doing really rigorous practices, sometimes with um, large numbers of people in a class, which make it more challenging for a teacher to be able to oversee and really conduct, although if they articulate well, then hopefully people are gaining those skills. But, um, you know, to be able to actually see your entire class at the same time is a, <laughs> is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, ways to instill that, yeah. Um, really understanding how to practice at a pace that's appropriate for you, no matter what's happening externally in a class, Um, trying to teach people ways to listen in their practice, which I think very much comes from understanding and and finding your breath in the practice. teaching people, again, like I said, the laws of body mechanics, how not to wear out your joints, how to learn to stack your bones and poses, what is, you know, the latitude of of proper alignment, what does it feel like when you find extensional energy, how to work with upward and downward moving energy in a practice, what do things feel like, Mm -hmm. where are you in, you know, where's the latitude of a pose, where are you in a range, and also... Some of that is trying to take people's fixation off of goal orientation in practices and knowing that there's a lot of different ways that many different people can be executing the same pose. Right. So finding their comfort zone. I hope that spoke to the question. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I definitely think in North America, there maybe because of the cultural context, there's always an emphasis in our culture on achievement. And I certainly think that that can definitely translate to a yoga practice, so the importance of, like you said, not letting go of a goal orientation is important. Right. And today, just uh, as an example, the practice of a style um, that that's very can be very diversified, but vinyasa yoga, which we use to a great degree, but we found more and more that when people are practicing what they call flow yoga or vinyasa yoga, they often think that it's just continually moving, that more is more. The more you do, the better the practice is. And as opposed to the concept of flow yoga, and we might have even, you know, helped coin that term because our, one of our very earliest um, sequences that we put out was entitled, you know, flow yoga or the flow series. But it's, you know, because of the rigor and the emphasis on strength and 
movement, people think that it's continually moving. So people aren't really understanding how to deepen into a pose all the time and Mm -hmm. how to really settle into a pose and really kind of, you know, cherish the pose. And then also how the arc of a sequence develops in that how you move from one pose to another by following your breath and linking your movement through your breath and also just being conscious in understanding and feeling and enjoying the fluidity of the space that you occupy and the space that you're in, that those things are vinyasa, as well as just moving within a practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'd like to kind of switch tracks, because you said something in the very beginning in your first answer that I'd like to come to. Um, you mentioned that when you came to yoga, you had many questions, and one was a question of the nature of love. And I'm wondering if you can speak about your, your relationship and partnership with Ganga and your, your, the way that yoga has helped you to a, an understanding of what love is. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> That's a daily meditation, relationship, partnership, um, the fact that we live, work, and teach together. And it really works for me. It's, um, and, and that's not a formula that necessarily works for everyone. But everyone hopefully can experience love in their life. Um, I feel really fortunate, we feel really fortunate that what we've been able to offer other people in the way of yoga in the world has been um, not only a, a place for people to come to at our Santa Barbara retreat at the White Lotus Foundation. That is an expression, in my opinion, of our love, um, of the gift of yoga, and of the gift of our partnership. So that's something that we, you know, we can see manifest in that particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a growing meditation it's a growing teaching experience mm-hmm. partnership it's a continual reflection and people don't have to be in a love affair to experience that you have it with children you have it with your animals you have it with the person that you encounter on the street you have the ability you know i think kindness mm-hmm. understanding kindness is a part of understanding love and um Understanding how to give and receive, how to balance your needs with someone else's needs. I think all of these things roll into what we call love. Mm-hmm. And then there's the passion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what do you enjoy the most about teaching together? Well, I. Probably one of the things at this point, in this stage in our life and in our teaching, as far as teaching together, is that we don't have to all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's one of the things I love. Um, Truly, the way our programs are structured, Ganga and I share the same room with the same student body for some aspects of our teaching, and in that way we will both honor and respect each other's space and kind of give room for one person to try to complete their own sentence and maybe let their expression 
be full in the way that they want to share something with someone, and then we might bounce off of one another or just supplement and add a perspective. Mm-hmm. It might be an entirely different perspective, which I think is great and I think people really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, our students have commented how they like the dynamic, the male-female that can occur, you know, when we share a room together and we teach. Mm-hmm. If we're teaching an often a practice, then very often we're supportive with one another. One person is actually developing the practice and the other is moving around silently and making hands-on and connecting with people individually in that way. And very often in our yoga teacher training programs or our deepening your practice, which is uh, another level of one of the trainings that we offer, then we often each carry different pieces of the program. Mm-hmm. So you're not always teaching the same things together, but you're teaching different elements, maybe individually or supporting each other. Absolutely. And sometimes we're teaching the same thing, you know, to the same group of people, but at different times mm-hmm. about the training. And so therefore they're getting a different perspective as well as some um, repetition, which never hurts, and then sometimes one of us will be teaching pranayama while the other one is teaching meditation, and then within the same program or another program, we'll switch who introduces that or who carries that piece. Mm -hmm. But we both teach asana, we both teach philosophy, we both teach pranayama, we both teach, you know, the holistic nature of of yoga. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you've mentioned in several of your answers meditation. I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about how you practice meditation and the importance of meditation in a yoga practice. Um, Well, there's a wonderful chapter in Ganga's book, Yoga Beyond Belief. It's Mm -hmm. entitled Meditation is Your Life. And then we also created a CD, um, a reading of the chapter, where I actually read his chapter, and it's such a beautiful chapter in the book. Um, I would say if White Lotus had a philosophy, you know, mm-hmm. then a, a philosophy of meditation, we believe it is your entire life. It's not just a practice. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of the way so often that people hold meditation is um, a sitting practice or a breath practice or a walking, you know, a particular action. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that we try to introduce people to is, um, first of all, there's there's no way to get it wrong if people do want to develop a practice because so often people are taught or they are thinking that meditation as a practice is having no mind or stilling the mind. And in fact, what they're experiencing is arguing with themselves and arguing with their mind and fighting their nature. So one of the things we like to do in a lot of our teaching is deconstruct and take away overlays instead of adding yet another one. Mm -hmm. That said, um, there are many cultivations, I like to use that word, that allow people clarity of mind, Um, understanding of the nature of thought. Um, We feel that nature is a huge part of meditation. It's something that 
we as human beings didn't create. It's something that we get to live in. And there's something about being in the power of nature that actually allows you not only to become quiet and clear, but to really feel yourself, you know, as part of something, Mm -hmm. um, something greater, something unified and connected. But I also feel that sitting in and of itself is a great energy cultivator. It is a practice that even if you didn't call it meditation, is a way of spending quality time with yourself, having greater insight, and what occurs as a result of developing a practice of sitting is very individual and could be different from time to time. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the practice of sitting would be a way of maybe developing the refining or developing the or awakening the awareness that we can take through the rest of our life absolutely mm-hmm. yeah i think i think the practices that we do cultivate and we do live in a body and in the world and what a beautiful expression is an asana practice as a moving meditation and pranayama as a breath not only you know cleansing toning strengthening um consciousness changer is a cultivation and those combined in a a practice of asana and pranayama together can be a beautiful moving meditation those things move out into our life those awarenesses that quality of energy moves out into our life all the time I think it's one of the reasons people practice whether consciously or unconsciously Um, they see themselves more clearly they feel better they find their ability and their way to connect to themselves and to others and to the world. I would consider an asana practice as much a meditation as a sitting practice could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Inquiry, we also consider to be a form of meditation, vichara, inquiry. Mm-hmm. How do you, um, you know, we live in a very busy world, Things happen so quickly in terms of our technology, and um, how do you balance and make time? How do you how do you find balance in your life? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think that's something that we're all working with, and it's a living process. So I think you know the awareness of the fact that we are moving too much or taking in too much input, uh, the art of listening, the art of where you're receiving, you know, uh, perceiving where you're receiving joy in your life, uh, the ability to tune in to how is your health and well-being. Those are all, I think, questions and awarenesses that we need to develop and keep alive. So I am out of balance probably often, but I also (laughs) feel like in the bigger picture I might be less often out of balance. Mm -hmm. But it also depends on the nature of what your life is moving through at the time. Mm -hmm. I've spent the last four years very much engaged in helping care for my mother um, since my father passed away, Mm -hmm. and that's taken an enormous amount of attention 
and physical vitality, um, and it's been a huge learning curve, and the ability for me to attend to cleaning out my drawers at home mm-hmm. and keeping my closet, you know, clear mm-hmm. and keeping my work up to date has to be balanced by that, and sometimes some things take a front seat and other things take a back seat. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very beautiful thing that you're involved in the care of your mother. I'm, you know, at the beginning of the interview, you also mentioned coming to yoga with questions about life and death. And as you care for your mother, are there definitive or tangible ways that the practice of yoga has helped you in this process? Self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Realizing when I need more patience because I just didn't have it. And being compassionate with myself in hopes that the next time this level of tension comes around, that maybe I'll do it differently. And because it's a learning process, and because I, I love learning, and I think that we all do, and again, that might be a reason that people practice, mm-hmm. is because not only does it make you you know, feel vitality in your life, but I think, you know, you're able to see yourself more clearly. And I feel like that's one of the big journeys that we're all on, whether we choose choose to observe that or not. Um, mm-hmm. So often I'll forego a physical yoga practice to get more things done um, as the list is sometimes really long and the time that I have to get those things done in... Um, seems shorter Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yet at least I'll notice when I'm not breathing (laughs) (laughs) it's it's life is an ongoing education and um, and that's a good thing Mm -hmm. now I heard that you've been called the poetess of yoga and is that because you integrate poetry into your classes it is something that I've done probably from some of my earliest stages of teaching, but very much for the last, easily for the last 20 years. I love language. I love words. I love poetry. I write. That's probably one of my personal creative outlets and passions. Not that I share my work far and wide, but I do share it with my friends and my family, and it's another. It's more of a personal um, meditation, mm-hmm. passion, whatever it is. But through that, because I'm touched and I'm moved by language and by words and I like to communicate, then when the moment is right, um, if the moment is right, and very often the moment is ripe for introducing a feeling, a thought, uh, uh, something that's that could be reflected on, then I will use poetry mm-hmm. classes. Yeah. Is there a poem that you'd like to share with us? I probably have two that would be great. Um, well, do, do we have time for me to share two? Absolutely. Oh, good. Okay. So I'll read you this one, and you may or may not be familiar with it. It's called What If. What if our re- sorry. What if our religion was each other? 
if our practice was our life, if prayer our words? What if the temple was the earth, if the forests were our church, if holy water, the rivers, lakes, and oceans? What if meditation was our relationships, if the teacher was life, if wisdom was self-knowledge, if love was the center of our being? And that poem is by Ganga. Hmm, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually um, in one of the cover pages of his book, Yoga Beyond Belief. And it's beautiful. It's an incredible expression. Mm -hmm. I never tire of reading it to myself or sharing it with people. And one of the ways that I use poetry when I teach, I, I, I think I reflected on that, is one of the wonderful things that we get to experience when people come to us and we're able to host people in a living expression of 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 nature, because we have a lot of nature at our retreat center, and um, in the beauty that we've been able to create with other artists at the center, um, and in the care that we hope that we take of people when they're there in the way that they feel welcome and supported. Um, then as we move through a program, and again, whether it's a weekend that's uh, a Memorial Day, a Labor Day, you know, long holiday weekend or a pranayama weekend or whether it's our teacher training, one of those kinds of things. It's so interesting how time can shift even when people are just getting away for a weekend. But then in a program that lasts 16 days, uh, like our teacher training program, you watch the evolution that people go through. You watch the transformation that occurs for people as they spend this kind of quality time with themselves, as they go through inquiry, as they focus on something that they dearly love and cherish, which is yoga. And we encourage people. You know, I, I work with haiku during the training sometimes, where everyone actually writes a piece and we choose, you know, I bring them a question or a thought or a topic, and then we use the format of haiku to actually bring it, you know, through structure and a very limited structure into full expression, and it's, it's really fun. Um, but um, I have a few pieces from a Canadian poet, and, and I know you may have announced it, but I, I, I know you're aware that we're going to be um, at Naramata, at the Naramata Center in Naramata, B.C. That's right. June 8th through 10th, Soya is um, hosting us, and Muggs McConnell is bringing us to to British Columbia, and I'm a huge fan of British Columbia. I have <laughs> amazing place. And this will be the first time that we've been in that section of British Columbia. But um, I very often use my students' poetry, mm -hmm. and I've made quite a collection over the years. And I have a Canadian poet who I treasure. She's um, a woman by the name of Mary Pocock, and she's from Toronto, Canada. And she came and trained with us many, many years ago, and she came to us in the course of, of going through breast cancer. Mm. And um, Mary was one of the most joyful human beings with the most beautiful laugh and infectious in her, 
positivity and in her perception of the world. And she came and studied with us um, during one of our teacher trainings, and she and I stayed in contact for the remaining years of her life. And I was so hopeful because I lost my teacher to breast cancer when she was very young, and I was even younger. And um, I fell in love instantly with Mary, and we had a short but really beautiful relationship, and she did pass away at a young age as well. But I often will read um, pieces of her, of her words that she left behind. So I thought maybe since we're coming to Canada and <laughs> here, that it would be really nice to read something from her. It sounds lovely. Okay. Let us create a garden out of the pure joy of wonder that arises from the contemplation of things as they are. With prayers all around, made of rock, with flowers, with sacred letters and ledges, and offerings that shine warm in the winter sun. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Really beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tracy. It's been so wonderful to hear all that you've had to share about your experiences in your life and uh, so many things that I think our listeners will enjoy um, hearing and also so much that they can take away and, and integrate and practice. And So thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Namaste. It's Farah again. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to visit our website, drishtipoint.ca, for the best of the best Drishti Point podcasts. And if you like this podcast and want to support our work, please consider becoming a Drishti Point member or making a donation of any amount to support the work we do to spread the light and love of yoga. We wish you health, happiness, prosperity, longevity, and vitality. Namaste.